Mountain State Mysteries contains adult content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Mark. And I'm Courtney. And this is Mountain State Mysteries. today is about a bank teller who was abducted in 1977, whose body was found in 1993, but wasn't identified until 2017. This is the story of Margaret Celeste Dodd. Margaret Dodd, better known as Margie, so from here we will call her Margie, was born on May 8, 1960 in Akron, Ohio to John and Evelyn Dodd. Margie met her husband, Kent Dodd, while attending classes at Akron College in Ohio. Kent was the brother of Margie's roommate, Edna Lee Dodd. On June 2, 1972, Margie and Kent would get married. The couple would end up moving to Beckley, West Virginia to be close to Kent's family. The couple suffered a major loss early on into their marriage. During her first pregnancy, Margie suffered from preeclampsia and lost their first child just four days after delivery. In an effort to move forward, Margie and Kent purchased their first home in Shady Spring, West Virginia in 1977. Margie started a new job as a tailor at the Cardinal Bank in the parking lot of the Raleigh Mall, and the couple started taking classes together at Concord University in the mornings. After their classes, Kent would drive the 39-mile trip to drop Margie off at work. When Margie's shift was over at 8.30, she would wait for Kent's shift to end at 11.30 p.m. To pass the time, she would hang out and shop at the Raleigh Mall. She would visit friends or hang out at the Friar Pub. Margie was a very friendly person who loved talking to various people while passing the time. To help both her and Kent, Margie would end up purchasing a green 1977 Chevy Savette, allowing her to drive to and from work. September 7, 1977 started off as a normal day for the couple. They both attended their morning classes and after, Margie left for work. From articles we've seen, there was some trouble at the bank that day. An altercation with a man trying to enter the bank alarmed Margie enough that she called the police. The man is reported to have threatened Margie, saying that he was going to, quote, going to get her for this, end quote. After hearing about the altercation, Kent Dodd called a friend in law enforcement to help Margie when she got off at 8.30. Margie's shift was seen to end without any incident, and she left to go home. While she was driving home, for reasons we still do not know, to this day, Margie would pull off the road just five miles away from the bank at the Emma Cove Gas and Service Station in Beaver, West Virginia. It is believed that Margie may have been flagged down by another driver 
possibly someone she knew or a person pretending to be the police officer. Around 8.45 p.m., people who lived near the Amico station reported to police that they heard a woman screaming. Witnesses also reported to police that they saw a woman get out of her car and approach another parked behind hers. John Cole was backing out of his mother's driveway around 8.45 p.m. That evening, when he heard screaming coming from the Emico station near his mother's house. He turned to see a man forcing a woman into a car. After getting the woman into the car, the man walked to the back of the vehicle where he retrieved her purse lying on the ground. He snatched up the purse but left a few items that spilled lying on the ground. He returned to the car with the purse pulled back onto Route 21 and headed north towards Beckley. Within 15 minutes, police were on the scene. J.O. Cole and Sergeant H.H. Matter began to investigate. One officer interviewed John Cole, with the other continuing the search. Cole described the abductor as a tall, slender male wearing blue jeans and a dark jacket. John's seven-year-old daughter, Lori, described the man, described the man looking like Henry Winkler, better known as the Fonz. Officers immediately began a road search of the surrounding area for the next six hours. Five state troopers searched deserted roads of Raleigh County searching for the missing vehicle. Every possible escape route was placed on watch. Every vehicle vaguely resembling the car described by Cole was stopped and the drivers were questioned. You're listening to Mountain State Mysteries. A search of the car left at the crime scene determined that the missing woman was Marjorie Dodd. The police immediately contacted her husband, Kent, at the couple's Shady Spring home. Upon learning that his wife's car had been found abandoned, Ken ran from the home to join police, leaving the front door open and the stereo playing. Kent was at the Amico station by 9.30 p.m. Kent joined state police in the search for Margie. Hope was high that with the officers getting to the crime scene in 15 minutes and having the victim's name with the description of the assailant in his vehicle, they would solve it that night. However, by 4 a.m., authorities were forced to give up to give up on the hunt. To them, it seemed like Margie and her abductor vanished into thin air. Officials were determined to learn what happened to Margie within the five miles from the Cardinal State Bank to the Amico Service Station in Beaver. Led by Beckley City Chief of Detectives Frank Pack and State Trooper Preston Gooden, officers began to question everyone they could determine to have contact with Margie on the day of her disappearance. They began with records of customers at the Cardinal State Bank. Over the next few weeks, they interviewed over 300 people in desperate search for clues. Kent Dodd was investigated heavily during the first week after the abduction, but his alibi ruled him out as a suspect. Due to Margie's friendly disposition, there were many people 
of interest to investigate. Many who have not been found or have came forward. Margie's abduction was very concerning because there have been several rapes, kidnappings, and suspicious disappearances in and around Beckley at that time. A man with a car matching the suspects was reported by a trucker as seen trying to force another woman into the car. And police were able to find the car by the license plate, but determined the car could not have been used that day as there was evidence that it had not been moved. More than a dozen women had been brutally raped in the surrounding area where Margie was abducted from. The rapist was eventually apprehended, but no connection to Margie's abduction could be made. Several psychics came forward claiming Margie came to them in a vision. Police were impressed that the psychics appeared to know details about the case that had not been previously released to the public. With no connection being seen between the three psychics, police did notice that their visions were eerily similar. All claimed that there had been two men involved in Margie's abduction and that she knew one of the men. They also said that her body was lying within five miles of her home, that the body was hidden under brush near a body of water, and that articles from her purse were thrown about her. They also claimed that the murderers turned northward at a triangle in the road and proceeded to an area that appeared to have been the scene of construction work using heavy equipment to move earth. You're listening to Mountain State Mysteries. To be honest, officers didn't place much faith into the supernatural visions. Frank Pack would remember the psychic shortly afterward when he received an anonymous phone call. The caller claimed to have found a body while parking with a woman near the 4-H Reservoir, which from research, I think it's Little Beaver State Park. He said that he could not give his name because the woman he was with was not his wife, but he insisted that the call was legit. An intense search was organized utilizing the combined forces of the Beckley City Police, the State Police, and area volunteers. For several days, over 500 officers and volunteers combed the brushes, roadways, and banks of the 4-H Reservoir, searching for the body of Marjorie Dodge. However, this search proved to be fruitless. However, when Pack returned from the search, he found a letter waiting for him from a psychic in Ohio. In the letter, the psychic claimed to have included a map showing the location of Margie's body. The X marked the spot where the body's location was directly on the 4-H reservoir, where they had recently been searching. A few weeks after the abduction, on September 29th, Margie's mother was contacted by a man over the phone claiming his brother was holding Margie hostage in Four Corners, West Virginia. The closest thing I could come to find anything related to Four Corners, West Virginia 
is Four Corners, Virginia. The caller also said he would have to travel to West Virginia and kill his brother so he could rescue Margie. The man claimed that he could rescue Margie for 15000 The FBI traced the calls to payphones in Akron, Ohio, where Margie's parents lived. The caller went by the name Joe Bob, told Margie's parents that he was holding their daughter captive in a sleazy motel in Akron. An FBI agent posing as Margie's uncle made plans to meet with Joe Bob to pay the ransom. With another agent hiding in the backseat of the car, the agent picked up an African-American male and followed his instructions driving around Akron. When the man became a little agitated, thinking he saw police lights, he asked if they were being followed. He turned to the agent and asked if he ever saw a gun and what it could do. With his hand in his jacket pocket, he made a clicking noise. The agent, hidden in the back seat, revealed himself and told the man to drop the weapon when he didn't. When he wouldn't remove his hand from his pocket, the officer shot him, causing the driver to let go of the steering wheel and grab the man, asking where Margie was. After the car stopped, the officers reached into the man's jacket pocket and found an ink pen. Later, it was determined that the man pretending to be Joe Bob was actually a 26-year-old ex-convent on parole named James Williams Hendry, who had nothing to do with the abduction of Margie. He only learned, he only learned about her abduction in the newspaper and claimed to be the abductor to try to extort money from her desperate parents. After this, the psychics came the psychics came forward claiming that Margie came to them saying that no one cares anymore, which we know, which we all know, is the furthest thing from the truth. In 1993, a couple of deer hunters happened upon a human skull on Little Bolt Mountain. Police later discovers the rest of the remains under a light covering of leaves. There have been some coal waste disposals in the area as well as some landscaping. The, <clears throat> the remains might have been covered more previously, possibly partially unearthed from the activity. The remains were badly decomposed. Along with the remains were a dirty sweater, bell bottoms, high heel clogs, and a 70s-style engagement ring. Despite these items, the body could not be positively identified at the time. Even the dental x-rays weren't enough to make a positive identification. Officer Steve Tanner with the Raleigh County Sheriff's Department was in charge of the investigation of the woman on Bolt Mountain. From the remains, a sample of DNA was able to be extracted. Frank Pack told Steve Tanner to test for Margie Dodd. However, Steve Tanner wanted to test for Sue Fayrup, a missing woman from Fayette County. Tanner moved on to other missing women in the area. In 2017, Sheriff Scott Van Meter promised to look into cold cases. Frank Pack asked Scott to test the DNA for Margie Dodd. So Scott contacted Kent Dodd and had him come in and look at pictures of the items that were found with the bones on Bolt Mountain. 
it took Kent three seconds to confirm it was Margie. With DNA from Margie's brother, it was finally confirmed 24 years later that the body on Little Bolt Mountain was Margie Dodd. In November 2017, Kent Dodd filed against the Raleigh County Sheriff's Department, the Raleigh County Commission, and Steve Tanner, claiming negligent and intention of emotional distress. In 1980, both of Margie's parents passed away, not knowing what happened to their daughter. Margie Dodd was cremated in 2017, and during the ceremony, Kent Dodd released a white dove to represent Margie was finally home. 46 years later, in 2023, people are still talking about Margie Dodd and her case. There are reports of a son of a Raleigh County man contacting the Dodd family, claiming that his father is the one who abducted Margie and murdered her. We, just like everyone else in Raleigh County, have questions as to what happened to Margie Dodd. And we believe that one day soon, we will finally know what happened. If you have any information on the case of Margie Dodd, please contact the Raleigh County Detachment of the West Virginia State Police at 304-256-6700, the Raleigh County Sheriff's Department at 304-255-9300, or Crime Stoppers of West Virginia at 304-255-7867, or at Crime Stoppers West Virginia Com. You can also email us at mountainstatemysteries304 at gmail.com. Courtney, do you have any final thoughts on this case? I already have a few questions. My first question is, the man who actually saw the abduction happen, why didn't he stop it? Why didn't he stop it? That I'm not sure. Because, I mean... I just feel that her life could have been spared. Her life could have been saved if he had stepped in. I mean, you're right there and you see everything going on. And you didn't take the opportunity to stop and question why, you know, this was going on or anything of that nature. My next thing is, is why didn't the Sheriff's Department want to test her DNA at that particular time? That's a good question because I'm not even sure. I just know that Steve Tanner dropped the ball in a major way. It's really disturbing for the fact that that family, her body was found in 1993. And wasn't positively identified until 2017. When her body was identified, and for 24 years, her family had to wait for them to test and see if it was her. I mean, that's, that's horrible. That's absolutely horrible. It's disgusting. I hate that her parents passed three years after her and disappearance and you know you died not knowing what happened to your child and I can't imagine 
the misery that these people felt, the helplessness that they felt, knowing that their child was out there with, not knowing, you know, if their child was dead or alive or anything of that nature. I can't imagine how her husband felt. I mean, from 1997 to 2017, and your wife was gone all that time. I can't imagine, and I'm really disappointed with the way that this case was handled. Want me to add on to that disappointment? I forgot to add this in, but they actually lost all of the evidence. So, Kent only had pictures of it to go by. You know what? Doesn't shock me. Does not shock me. Mark, do you have any final thoughts on this case? This is like a little twisted fun fact, but we are actually recording just a few miles away from where her body was found. It's actually a few yards from where Jane Fleet Haynes was ran over. But the first time I heard about this case was when I was a child. I want to say there might have been a billboard or something with her picture on it in Beckley. But I remember my nanny telling me that she was on her way to work going across Little Mountain when she saw the cops and everything bringing her body out or her bones and like investigating that entire scene. This case has always been a little bit of a deep dive for me. I'm so happy we finally covered Margie's case because it's been on our list for almost a year. I want to say maybe last Thursday we went out and we drove from where the Cardinal City Bank used to be to where the building of the Emico station is and a few reports said that it was 4 miles, some said 4.5 but we tracked it and it took and it was exactly 5 miles from the bank to the station at the end of the day, I'm just happy Margie's body was found. However, it makes me so mad, like I said earlier, that Steve Tanner dropped the ball in a major way and never tested the DNA for Margie. Her case could, it honestly could have been solved long before 2017. Next time on Mountain State Mysteries, we're going to tell you one of West Virginia's most intriguing cases the case of the Sauter family. If you find yourself enjoying Mountain State Mysteries, take a second to follow, download, and rate it on your favorite podcasting service. It helps others find Mountain State Mysteries. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you follow us on, on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Comment and let us know where you're listening from because we actually really want to know. So just comment on our latest post where you're from and that way we can just figure out where all of our listeners are from. For the show notes, check out our website, mountainstatemysteriespodcast.com.